Al Jazeera podcast. A policeman shot dead in northern Kosovo. Serb gunman killed in a monastery siege. It's the latest violent flashpoint between ethnic Serbs and Albanians. So how damaging is this to international peace efforts? And can a lasting solution ever be found? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now. And in Belgrade, Helena Ivanov, Serbian Affairs Analyst and Associate Research Fellow at the Henry Jackson Society. In Pristina, Dan Ilazi, Head of Research at the Kosovar Centre for Security Studies. And in Brussels, Suzanne Lynch, Chief Brussels Correspondent for Politico. A very warm welcome to all of you. Helena, let's start with you. We've got the Kosovo Prime Minister, Alban Kurti, once again very quickly pointing the finger here at Belgrade, saying armed groups are responsible for the violence in northern Kosovo, that they are Serbian state-backed troops. Are they? Well, I think, of course, that that remains to be seen. I think we need to have a proper investigation into who these people are, how did they get the uniforms that they allegedly were wearing, how did they get the weapons um, that they've used. I think in, in all of these cases, whenever we see escalation between Kosovo and Serbia, I think both the Serbian and the Kosovo government immediately tend to point fingers to the other side and pl place blame and responsibility on the other side. But I think I always like to err on the side of caution and say, when escalations like these happen, when mis and disinformation tend to fly around from both sides, it's important to do a proper investigation and really see what actually happened there and who was responsible. So, of course, it's not the first time that we've seen such incidents of violence in this region. Have there been investigations of the past? Has it been proven that there has been Belgrade involvement? Well, I think, of course, Belgrade's involvement has been assumed and, and shown by many in many different cases. Of course, the connections between Srpskalista and Belgrade politicians is also no secret to anyone. And, of course, Belgrade tries to increase and maintain as much influence over Kosovo as possible. So connection is very clearly there. The question is, to what extent this connection is this? How strong is it? And in this particular case whether the Serbian government was directly involved, which the Serbian government continues to um, deny. So I think we need, to, we need to wait and see, basically. And in terms of previous investigations, again, I think neither Serbia nor Kosovo have shown willingness to be completely fair and transparent uh, in normalization talks and in other instances where cooperation is required. So, of course, proper investigations are often lacking in Kosovo as well. Mm, sure, well, certainly we'll get into the talks in just a moment. Dan, first of all, what evidence does Pristina have that there is Serb involvement from Belgrade in this violence in northern Kosovo? Well, uh, just uh, a couple hours ago, the Kosovo police uh, uh, organized a uh, uh, press conference where they showed the arsenal of weapons and uh, equipment they confiscated. And there's, uh, according to the Kosovo police, there are indications that uh, the group was organized by a, a well-known uh, member of the criminal underground called Milan Radojic. And uh, uh, there are also um, uh, then very clear connection between him and some elements in the, uh, in the Serbian government. I think the concern is here about the extent to which uh, the Russian elements, because uh, uh, were perhaps behind this. Uh, uh, but one thing I want to note, which is very important, is uh, the reaction from the Serbian Orthodox Church in Kosovo was immediate. 
when this uh, 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 what the EU and Germany called the uh, terrorist action started, the Serbian Orthodox Church in Kosovo reacted and uh, made sure to uh, inform the public that the um, uh, its personnel, the priests, and, and there were some pilgrims at the monastery in Bainz were being held in a way hostage. So I think what this did is it prevented a potential uh, abuse of the situation for uh, a much more uh, escalatory uh, mm. or an escalation uh, that perhaps the group uh, expected. Suzanne, this is just the latest, isn't it, in a string of escalations that we've seen in this region in the past year. It really does feel like this volatile region is particularly on a knife edge at the moment. Yes, we've had a series of incidents uh, during the past year or so, including elections that took place earlier in the year that was that were uh, organized in the north of Kosovo, but were effectively boycotted by the ethnic Serbian uh, community there. And since those elections, and when the uh, Kosovans tried to install the mayors, were only elected on a couple of percentage participation in this election, um, we've had a very strong uh, reactions really from both Washington and here in Brussels, a sense that um, officials in the international community are losing patience uh, with the regions, the two countries, and uh, in particular, I think a, a stronger rhetoric against the Kosovan leadership, asking them to step up a bit more. I mean, traditionally, you would have seen uh, a different kind of language, particularly coming from Washington, but we've had some very strong messaging towards uh, the Kurti government. Uh, so I think this is going to do no help uh, here for either cause of the Kosovans or Serbia here in Brussels. Just about 10 days ago or so, uh, we had the, the president of Serbia and the prime minister of Kosovo in Brussels and mm. for talks they didn't really lead uh, much anywhere in terms of specifics but this is definitely going to be a further setback now and alarm about where things are going to go from here. Dan there has been a fair amount of criticism directed particularly at the Kosovan Prime Minister Alban Kurti perhaps suggesting that he's not being a fair negotiator in this process by the actions that he's taking on the ground, as Suzanne said, one of them being installing these ethnic Albanian mayors in Serb-majority areas. Why is he pushing in the way that he is? Well, we need to uh, remember that the Prime Minister Kurti ran uh, a massive campaign uh, during the national elections in Kosovo on the argument that the dialogue on normalization of relations uh, between Kosovo and Serbia was highly asymmetric. Uh, to the detriment of Kosovo. So uh, he was very critical of the process from the start. So some of the his position, you can argue, uh, is based on uh, his stance and his positions when he was in opposition. Uh, but what is important to note is that we are in a situation right now in Kosovo where it seems that neither the international community, and this is mainly EU and U.S., trust the Kosovo government, and but it also seems Kosovo government doesn't trust any longer the international mm. community. And this is a very uh, dangerous situation because, as Sutan asked, you know, how do we move from, from this? He is, I think, uh, uh, having a sequence-based action plan uh, to implement the agreement that both parties accepted, although verbally only, in February of this year, the so-called agreement on the path to normalization of relations. And fundamental in this is the obligation of Kosovo uh, and Kosovo government to deliver on establishment of an association or community of certain majority municipalities. I think this is the path forward. But what it seems that Kosovo government expects is some kind of guarantees that 
moving in that direction to establish this kind of mechanism will be accompanied by concrete steps that brings Kosovo closer in the European integration process. Uh, uh, because in the past, what has happened is that some of the commitments that were offered to Kosovo uh, uh, in return for making some, some uh, steps uh, like uh, establishing this kind of power sharing formulas or uh, other reforms, uh, there was reluctancy to uh, meet the country halfway in terms of the European integration process. So what Kosovo expects, which is very important for the country, is that the four non-recognizers, uh, there are five EU member states that don't recognize Kosovo, but particularly important is that the four who are members of NATO perhaps move in the direction of accepting Kosovo's independence and Kosovo has a clear path to membership in NATO, uh, perhaps offer the partnership for peace, uh, uh, also, Kosovo applied for membership uh, in mm. EU uh, and for candidate status. Right now, Kosovo is the only one among six Western Balkan countries without this status. So these will go a long way of building confidence. So we need some confidence-building measures. Okay. Uh, but it is, it is clear that Kosovo needs to move on establishing the uh, ASM. Uh, Helena, Kurti says that it will, he will not take the first step uh, in this uh, negotiation process towards normalizing relations until Serbia takes a move, makes a move towards recognizing Kosovo's independence. Is Alexander Vucic, the president, making showing any signs of doing that? No, President Vucic, in fact, just last night in his public address following the events that we've seen yesterday in Kosovo, he's made it very clear that Serbia will not ever recognize Kosovo as an independent state. So I think when it comes to Serbia making that move, I I'm not sure that we're ever going to see that move happen. However, what I do think is also very problematic, and I think that's the reason why we've seen some strong messaging from the EU and the US towards the Kurti government, is that Kurti is basically now showing that he's unwilling to fulfill the obligations his country has accepted all the way back in Brussels in 2013. Of course, conversations about Serbia recognizing Kosovo are by no means new. But Kosovo's mm. obligation to create the Association of Serb Municipalities predates uh, uh, many of the talks that we're hearing right now. It's a commitment Kosovo has taken back in 2013, a commitment that was reiterated in the Brussels and Okrit talks that happened earlier this year. But whether and if at all this kind of like association is going to be formed now pretty much hangs up in the air because Kurti's made it clear this is unconstitutional and un unlawful according to Kosovo law and, and has basically uh, rejected the latest EU proposal that stipulated that the association must be created first and then other steps will, will come into place. And that's basically why we are in, in this deadlock. Serbia refuses to recognize Kosovo as independent on one hand, and on the other hand, Kosovo is unwilling to uh, fulfill the obligation it has mm. and um, create the Association of Serb Municipalities. So, Suzanne, here we are, two sides more and more entrenched, refusing to budge. These talks have been going on for more than 10 years. Is the EU tiring of this intractable conflict? I think it is. I think patience is beginning to fray. I mean, the EU has a lot of it on its plate at the moment, not least the war in Ukraine. Um, and getting that attention, giving that attention and time to this Pristina-Belgrade dialogue, as it's known here, is important, but it's not top of the agenda for most EU member states here. The other issue, and it's been touched upon already, is the fact that the EU is having a huge conversation at the moment about enlargement, about opening up the EU to new members. And two of the countries who want to join the EU are Kosovo and Serbia. Uh, and they are on the path, or the Western one, two of the Western Balkan uh, countries who want to join are at various stages. Now, these processes take ages, they take years, sometimes decades. But it is undoubtedly the fact 
that the latest development and now the growing impasse we see between the two sides is going to have a detrimental effect on that. Uh, the EU is going to have a huge conversation about this uh, in December in its summit. It's also meeting plus heads of state, potentially uh, the Serbian uh, leader and uh, the Kosovan president in Spain uh, in early October to talk about this idea of this European political community. Uh, an organisation that goes beyond the EU. So this is, this whole discussion about who to allow into the EU is front and centre here, but mm. the developments that are happening now uh, in North Kosovo is definitely uh, not quite set, set, sounding the death knell, but is obviously going to be a major problem now for both Kosovo and Serbia as they try both in different ways to progress uh, their route into the EU. But what about, Suzanne, on top of that, as Dan mentioned just a moment ago, these number of countries within the EU who do not recognise Kosovo's self-declared independence, how much of an obstacle is that? And could they not recognise the independence as a confidence-building measure to then bring the two sides, Kosovo and Serbia, closer together? It's a big issue. It's the elephant in the room for Kosovo. A lot of the time it's because of their own domestic considerations. So, for example, Spain... Uh, has an issue with recognising Kosovo because of its own problem mm. with breakaway regions. That's the reason. Um, now, when you say this to Kosovan uh, politicians, they say that they're working bilaterally with these countries to try and convince them to recognise that independence. That's number one. And number two is that now with this conversation about enlargement, there may be some kind of a halfway house that maybe, OK, Kosovo is not going to join the EU at the moment anytime soon, but it may move towards that. There's a lot of conversation now about different countries like Ukraine, the Western Balkan countries, about maybe having a kind of two-tier system that you're kind of in in some parts and not in the others. So those kind of conversations are happening. Um, and uh, the Kosovans know that's an issue. They're continuing to argue with it, but very much as a bilateral basis. The other issue, of course, that Serbia is less keen. I'm generalising to an extent here, but, you know, a lot of countries in the Western Balkans have got tired waiting of trying to join the EU. A Serbia's mm. application was made many years ago. Uh, so the question now of how much Serbian people actually want to join the EU is now a live one. We've also seen uh, increased engagement by Russia in Serbia in particular, where, you know, the polls show the Kosovans in particular do want to join the EU, very strong support for that. So that's the other dynamic uh, to keep in mind here. Well, let's uh, let Helena just answer that. Uh, what feeling is there within Serbia for, to join the EU, or is it more aligned with Russia? And, Dan, we'll come back to you in just a moment. Well, Henry Jackson Society actually conducted research on this, and we've examined the level of pro-Russian sentiment uh, in Serbia, as well as the appetite for joining the EU. And according to that data, if the referendum for EU membership was held tomorrow, more Serbs were, would vote against joining the European Union than in mm. favour, which is extremely problematic, as that is the first time that we're actually seeing a flip in, in the vote that would mean Serbia would not enter the EU. And, and when it comes to Russia, the, the support for Russia is, is overwhelming. Over 50% of Serbs think that Russia should be Serbia's for, first and foremost foreign uh, policy partner. And even more so, 78% uh, of Serbs believe that Serbia should not impose sanctions against Russia. So, so I think the political climate here is very much changing for many reasons that Susie mentioned. Dan, how much does that concern Kosovo? The, this this movement of Belgrade towards Moscow. Well, I think it's uh, uh, the relations between uh, Serbia and Russia are a concern for the wider region in the Western Balkans and EU. I think Russia wants uh, instable Western Balkans. 
uh, and, and they invest on this. Uh, but I think what we need to focus on is the speech uh, or the new opportunity that has emerged, as Susan was saying, uh, uh, on the enlargement policy. The European Council President, Charles Michel, made recently a speech that said the European Union should be ready for enlargement or new members by 2030. I think this is the unique opportunity that our region could not miss. And we need to work towards reaching this, this target. And key issue to reaching this target is that the region resolves bilateral disputes. In 2018, you adopted a strategy about our region that clearly states no new members will be accepted with outstanding unresolved uh, bilateral disputes. And for Kosovo and Serbia, uh, or for Kosovo in general, it is clear that the path to NATO, which is fundamentally important for us, and to EU goes through the dialogue for normalization of relations uh, with Serbia. And just to be, uh, I think, correct, in February this year, uh, Prime Minister Kurti uh, and President Vucic both accepted the uh, deal that the EU offered, the so-called path uh, toward uh, uh, agreement on a path to normalization uh, of relations. And part of this deal is the obligation, again, for Kosovo to establish a so-called self-management mechanism for the Serbs living in Kosovo. Mm. And this is euphemism for the Association of Serb Majority Municipalities. And I will finish here. So I think the government has accepted this obligation. But the question is not if you are going to establish this association, but what kind of association it, has, it should be uh, that provides the sufficient guarantees for the Serbs living in the north to accept uh, uh, it to become part of the coastal society. So this is the key question. And to move in a direction where this association is accepted for all, it needs to be sequenced in a way where Kosovo progresses towards European integration as well. But, it's but Dan, I just want to right. jump in there because you're talking about this yeah. association of Serb majority municipalities. It's a key issue in talks and a stumbling block in talks at the moment. You're talking about it being accepted as a way forward, and yet Prime Minister Kurti is not setting it up. Why is he not doing that? Uh, so uh, just for the context, uh, in 2013, for the first time, uh, this was agreed to establish the association. Then there was another agreement in 2015, and our constitutional court issued a verdict on the constitutionality of this mechanism. And it uh, decided or it concluded that the establishment of the Association of Sub-Majority Municipalities is constitutionally uh, uh, okay in a way, and it is a legal obligation for Kosovo government to fulfill. Uh, so in this sense, it is absolutely right that the Kosovo government should come forward with a proposal or with a concept document on how this association of majority municipalities should look like. But the mm. key obstacle in this direction has been the kind of association we want. If we hear uh, from the United States, they say that the association should be in accordance with the decision of Kosovo Constitutional Court. But for many Serbs in the North, uh, that perhaps is not sufficient. So it is fundamental uh, that the discussion, uh, in a way, that the, that the discussion is about the kind of association of Serb-majority municipalities that meets both the needs of the Serbs that live in Kosovo, as well as the uh, concerns of the Kosovo government, which in our case is the idea of how this association can become a potential uh, obstacle for functionality of okay. the state, taking into consideration the state the situation in Bosnia. Helena, could you just give us an idea of why this association... Helena, just give us an idea of why this association is important? Why is it such a sticking point? And how might it benefit Serbs living in northern Kosovo? 
Well, I think obviously the Serbs who, who live in the north do not want to see Kosovo independent and all things considered would have preferred that Kosovo never declared independence, right? And I think for a mm. lot of them, they have substantial concerns whether their rights would be protected if they would solely to fall within the legislation of the Kosovo government. Subsequently, the argument goes, given that we are geographically located in this area and given that we are the majority in this area, um, and, and given, you know, the past differences, the conflicts, the history of it all, these people believe that they have the right to, to more autonomy and to make decisions for themselves. And that was basically the key argument um, that was presented. And I think right now, in the aftermath of everything that we've seen, for a lot of these people, Kirti government is, is unacceptable, and they would probably not feel comfortable living solely under the government and authority of Mr. Kurti, which is why I believe this insistence on the association has further increased, on top of, of course, the fact so this is an obligation Kosovo has indeed accepted in, in 2013. And Suzanne, we're talking about one issue here. There's, of course, another issue about the uh, elections where the Al Albanian ethnic mayors were installed. Uh, Pristina has said there will be new elections to replace them, uh, potentially boycotted or not by the Serbs. We'll have to wait and see. But that is another potential flashpoint. And we've got another one, haven't we? Another deadline at the end of this year, which we really should be looking towards, because that is for an end for Serb-issued licence plates on vehicles. This deadline has already slipped because of the tensions that it caused and the violence that it caused. What do we think is going to happen towards the end of this year if no headway is made around the negotiating table? Well, I think the events of the last week have completely changed the conversation around those two issues. Um, and I think we've taken a number of steps backwards um, since that. There's been no sign of any progress between the two countries in the last few days. Um, in the aftermath of the latest incident. So I think there are now going to be question marks about that. The uh, Kosovan government, the president of Kosovo, has said that they are committed to having new elections, but very few details of what those new elections would look like. That's the key issue. I mean, they had the elections before. The prob problem was uh, that if they were not, you know, the, the, the Serbian majority didn't participate in them. So it, it all depends on what kind of elections you have. So that's number one. And number two is, you know, she said that and before the latest outbreak of violence. So I think this does change the dynamics. Similarly, with the number plates, that was the first kind of sign that of, of a, you know, a, a reappearance of tensions in the area well over a year ago now, which was about the right to have Serb number plates for certain communities in north mm. of Kosovo. Very important symbolically and a very important issue. So I think the events of the last week have changed uh, this conversation around that. And unless uh, there is some progress, in the coming weeks before these deadlines. Um, well, I can't see, being honest, much progress on either of those issues. Dan, do you agree with that? Do you agree that the situation has taken steps backwards and there are a number of crucial flashpoints to look forward to towards the end of the year? Unfortunately, yes, the situation has become very unstable and unpredictable. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we, in a way, predicted this in this very own show. I think it was me and Helen as well with the other colleague who discussed this situation. And if there isn't a clear confidence in the process that it will produce a political solution, then I think tensions will just be uh, uh, can increase furthermore. So we need an urgent return to the to the dialogue. I think it is uh, the responsibility of the EU to come forward uh, with a sequence-based action plan. It is the responsibility of the Kosovo government to come forward with a proposal on establishing the Association of Serb Majority Municipalities. 
And I think it is responsibility of all political leaders in Kosovo and Serbia to send uh, the right kind of messages and to refrain from rhetorics that further antagonize the communities. Mm. Because the Serbian community, it's not only located in the north. Uh, and there, there are Serbs living throughout Kosovo. Uh, okay. And I'm just concerned about I just want how to, this just want to jump in there, Dan, because we've just got a, a less than a minute left. And Helena, I want to know what you Sorry. think it will take to see a real breakthrough and prevent more violence. I think one of the key things is for the EU to actually find enforcement mechanisms. I think at this point we have seen rounds and rounds of talks where, you know, right now one person just walked out and absolutely said no. Before we've had some verbal acceptances, but nothing really signed. After almost every round of talks, we see another escalation and each following escalation is worse than the one before it. So I think the EU really needs enforcement mechanisms. I think at this mm. point, if the sides are committed to something, unless they do it, they actually have to be properly sanctioned. Otherwise, we're just going to keep on going into circles. And this really makes lives, and I cannot stress this enough, of people in Kosovo, of all ethnicities, incredibly difficult. So okay. that's, I believe, what we need. There we will have to leave our discussion today. Helena Ivanov, Dan Ilazi, and Suzanne Lynch, thank you very much for joining us here on Inside Story. Thank you. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Fintan Monaghan, Fungi Nguyen and Jimmy Gettahun. Studio sound was by Aston Goodison. The programme was edited by Anibar Sarka, Lynn Nguyen and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Tuesday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, a small island in the Taiwan Strait gets caught in the middle of a geopolitical dispute, leaving its shores with tons of plastic waste. That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.